Hello, and welcome to Pivotal Moments, a podcast sharing, exploring, and celebrating stories of change, big or small. We are here to remind you that we are all agents of change and have the power to pivot at any point, at any time. I'm your host, Melissa Robena, along with my co-host, Cydia Gutierrez. Today, we are excited to talk to world traveler and digital nomad, Sabrina Sabah. Sabrina has 15 years of media experience in television, radio, and online news. In her 20s, Sabrina worked as a writer, producer, and on-air reporter for Fox News with an emphasis on long-form interviews and social media outreach. I've been following you on Instagram, and your story just fascinates me. Um, Here on the show, we talk a lot about the different types of pivots people make in their lives, um, you know, force changes, life-changing moments, um, intentional changes, and in just this form that you've, com- you've filled out for us, you've like hit almost all of them. And so I think it would be really great for our listeners to see how one extraordinary woman has just powered through all of it and just is living the life. And so it all started with, I'd say your early career. So can you tell us a little bit about your early career? Yeah. So I, you know, I mean, growing up in like the small town, you know, that we grew up in, you, you basically just want to find a way to, to, you know, transition into something bigger, I think is, is kind of just the way I always felt. Like I just knew I wanted to get out of that town. I wanted to do something really meaningful and something exciting. And so I was always drawn to broadcast news. I went to a private broadcasting school right out of high school. I graduated early from high school because I just was very motivated to get out. <laughs> so yeah. I, um, I graduated at 16 and I moved um, basically to Southern California to go to school. And then I was lucky enough to advance in my career very early on. So I was already working in radio and television when I was about 19. So I moved around the country a lot. You have to, in broadcast news, you have to really start in a tiny market in order to prove yourself, but also, you know, get the necessary experience to be able to be trusted to do a live broadcast. Because again, anything that comes out of your mouth can be held, you know, liable. You can be sued. The station could be, you know, get in really big trouble. And trusting a young person with that kind of freedom is very difficult. (laughs) And so you have to start in a smaller market where essentially less people are listening when you do screw up because you will. (laughs) Uh And so I did that for a few years. And then I actually ended up at Fox News in Los Angeles after working in Las Vegas and a bunch of other places doing news. And so, yeah, I was doing television and radio for Fox News out of New York. I would kind of go back and forth between LA and New York. I would travel to um, Nashville and and a lot of other places for just various news things that were happening, um, whether it was like natural disasters or entertainment stories. Um, It really was was a really exciting job because I got to do a lot of things that most people, certainly my age had never done. And I, I just was able to kind of get this perspective on the world that was like, okay, when I'm not working 12 hours a day, I really want to get out here and actually see the world and, and experience the things that I'm interviewing everyone else about. 
I just started kind of getting burned out on work and it all sort of culminated in, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, you guys believe about stress affecting your physical health and we're huge believers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you know, there's really, I mean, obviously there's like family history and whatever, but to be in my early twenties and, and be diagnosed with cancer was just such a, a crazy experience, but it was, it was almost immediate that I knew that it was something to do with my lifestyle, something to do with the stress, something to do with the way that I was living my life or not living my life. Mm-hmm. And well, let's talk about that for a minute. How, okay. how were you living your life at this point? So now you, you made it in, you've, you know, hustled in the small town markets and then made it into Fox news uh, for New York. Like what is, what was your day like then? Well, so I was based in Los Angeles and I would, you know, basically be, have live, what we called live shots um, all day. And you have one at the top of every hour and one at the bottom of every hour. And then in between that, you're writing scripts, you're trying to make calls, you're, you're digging for stories. I mean, it really, nowadays, you know, of course, you say any network news name and people scoff because of whatever their political affiliation was is and of course i am not politically aligned with fox you know i was covering a wide array of stories and all that being said like you really have to kind of pound the pavement i was working i would say it would depend you know sometimes my first live shot would be at 5 a.m sometimes my last live shot would be at 1 a.m And with award shows, you know, you have to be on the red carpet interviewing the celebrities, which sounds very glamorous, but when you're in high heels and you've got blisters on your feet that are bleeding, because not only am I the on-air person, I'm pulling the cable, I'm plugging in the XLRs, I'm testing the audio, I'm, you know, setting up the amps, like I'm do, I'm my own audio engineer and also helping with like the camera setup and So it's just a grueling, it's a grueling process. And it's not just, you know, the Oscars or the Grammys or the awards that you might see on TV. There was one a week, you know, there's the SAG Awards and Golden Globes and just so many different things you have to do. And so you have to kind of put forth this facade of glamour. And again, like I have to be fully done up my hair, my makeup, my gown, my heels and carrying like a five, like a, you know, 50 pound Pelican case full of gear. Wow. That's that that sounds like a workout just in itself. Yeah. You know, it's crazy, but here's the thing. It's like when you're that age, you you know, we let people take advantage of us, right? You know, we don't know that it's okay to say, this is too much for one person. This isn't, you know, this isn't healthy. I need sleep. I'm exhausted. You know, I was taking Adderall. I was taking, you know, I was drinking a lot like of wine to like calm down from the night to go to bed. Then I was waking up and drinking coffee, taking Adderall, like, and you know, they would, sometimes they would give it to us because like you have, you know, there was really no, like I was just abusing my body. I was doing whatever it took to be up when I needed to be up and to sleep when I needed to be to sleep. And just doing what you could to support yourself. Oh, we absolutely with stimulants. Well, yeah, of course with stimulants. I mean, there really, there's just no way. And if anyone in the industry says that they don't, they're lying. And it's not because, you know, it's, but it's because of the demand because the second that, you know, and I think at this time I was maybe like 23, but at that time, you know, you're not going to walk away from $120,000 a year job. Mm -hmm. Like all my friends are waitresses. Like everyone is struggling and, and it's like, you can't even complain because how dare you, you know, like you're in this position where everyone is 
first of all, it's fun, right? Because everyone sees you on TV and you're, you know, and it's like what I set out to do. And then you get all of the family dynamics of like people pressuring you, like your parents are so excited or your friends are so happy for you. And then you have your bosses who the second that you say, listen, I need a break. I feel sick. And this is one that started with the cancer stuff is like, I started just feeling like something was wrong. I couldn't, I didn't have enough energy. I was getting sick all the time. Once you say, Hey, I need a break. HR will just send you like a list of resumes from people that have applied for your job that day. Like HR will will tell you, Hey, you could be sick, but here are all the applications. The people that I worked for were just, they had no qualms about explaining and being very direct about the fact that, listen, if you don't want this job or this job is too stressful for you, it's not going to be us making it less stressful. It's going to be us replacing you with someone younger, prettier, or more, you know, down to to work every holiday and work, you know, 15 hours a day. And that's just, I don't know if that's how it is now, but that's how it was when I was there. Um, And that's, and again, it's not just Fox, it's everyone. It's all of them. I have friends at CNN, ABC, like that. This is just, it's really how it is. It's almost like a, like an athlete, you know, like they, they really, they pay you well so that you cannot say no. When you're talking about that, I'm just thinking you in your travels, you know, I know you went to over 70 countries and you've met journalists all over the world. Was it the same culture uh, with other journalists, with foreign journalists? Foreign journalists, no. Because as we know, America is the only country that values, you know, work life over home life and and family and, and, you know, personal goals. America, I mean, really, like, people who don't spend a lot of time outside of, of this country have no idea the freedom that comes with living in a society where people don't ask you what you do within the first five seconds of a conversation because it doesn't matter. It, what you do isn't who you are in other places. And I think that's why I fell so deeply in love with travel because I was so tired of always being the one in the room that had the coolest job, let's say. You know, And it wasn't even that my job was that cool, but it was as soon as anyone found out what I did, whether I wanted to be the entertainment for that party or that evening or that dinner or lunch or whatever, I end up fielding hundreds of questions about, well, who have you interviewed and what was that like? And that's so cool. And it's, and you don't want to like be a bummer. You don't want to tell people like, look, I think there's something like really wrong with me and I don't even like my job anymore. And I know you're like stoked on me telling you about it, but this sucks and I'm struggling. That makes a lot of sense. Do you think that you, um, it, it doesn't sound like it right now, but at the time, had you internalized, I'm a reporter and like, that's your whole identity? I think so. I think because it's the only thing I'd ever done. You know, I always joke with my friends now, whenever I'm, you know, freelancing or looking for work or, or whatever, I'm like, I have no skills. Like all I'm, all I do is just like be on camera. And, you know, it's just so funny because I've really never done anything else. And of course I obviously can write and I can, you know, produce and do a lot of other things, but it's just, it is really funny because I'm like a caricature of a little like reporter doll, you know, it's just all I've ever done. (laughs) Absolutely. I think it took a long time for me to not start every introduction with like, oh, well, I used to be, you know, a reporter because I, I don't know. I feel like there was such sort of acclaim and also it, it helped me feel better, I think, about like quitting my job and starting to travel when I could have kind of an ace in the hole of like, oh, well, don't 
don't worry. I'm not like a loser. Like here's the, this is what I used to do, but isn't that such a, a negative way to look at it? Like, and it, it helped traveling. It wasn't until I started traveling that I, I dropped that part of it. Now the people that I've met within the last few years have no idea what I used to do for work. Cause I mean, that's gotta be difficult, right? So you're going through and you're being told, look, if you don't want this job, there's so many people out here who want your job, uh, like figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what they were telling yeah, you. Yeah, they're not even saying figure it out. They're just saying, we don't, it, don't bring this up again unless it's to tender your resignation. Mm. Wow. So then how, how, did you, how did you manage to go through that? Because I mean, have one, how did you even get the diagnosis? When I started feeling sick, I was like embarrassed and I, I was worried that I was going to get fired or that something was going to happen like even more negatively. So actually at the time I was in London, I had traveled, I take like a week off and I was traveling with, with my best friend Haley and we were on the train and I passed out. I just completely um, fell and, and I was unconscious and I had to go to the hospital and we had been drinking. So I was like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm hungover, I'm dehydrated or whatever it is. And it wasn't, it, it just started, more things started happening. And so finally, when I got back, I went and, and got tests run and, and they came back and said that I had cancer and, and that, you know, it would be fine. Like I could, there was a lot of treatment options. I was super healthy and young, but I didn't even tell Fox. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anyone. I was afraid they wouldn't renew my contract if they thought I might be sick or get sick again. It was, biz- I mean, as I say it now, I'm like, what the hell? Like what kind of backwards like thinking? But I, at the time, that's just, I was so conditioned to just feel like I wasn't worth anything if I wasn't healthy and I wasn't able. I went through the most grueling, you know, chemo and radiation process. I and the reason that Fox found out, which this is so awful, is I was on steroids and I gained a lot of weight. And it wasn't, it was the kind of weight where it's mostly water weight, but you, you get really puffy. Basically, I was low-key told like, hey, what's going on? Do we need to get you like a nutritionist or a gym membership? Like what? This isn't, this isn't work. This isn't okay. Like you can't just gain a bunch of weight like this. So, so the only reason that they reached out to you was because you didn't look as good on camera anymore. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? I mean, that's my take. I'm sure. I mean, who knows? Like essentially, yes, I, I eventually had to just be like, here's what's going on. It's, I can't just go on a diet. It's not going to fix it. And then of course my, I started losing my hair. So I had to cut my hair short and you're not supposed to change your appearance drastically. Um, when you're, you know, on air, you actually, um, a lot of times have a contract that stipulates if you can, you know, be tan or not get highlights or not cut your hair or not. And I had to cut my hair short, not like really short, but just to, to kind of hide the fact that I was losing some of it. And so the whole process was just ridiculous. So I told, I ended up telling my job and then I told some friends and then I told my family and then it all, how many months between you actually revealing this stuff? Oh, maybe four, four months. What What was that like keeping that to yourself for four months? It was incredibly painful and scary, but I thought that I was, I thought that that was the right thing to do. I just thought that that I didn't want to burden anyone with my issues. And I was, and at the time, you know, I was afraid that 
someone would tell Fox. Like that was the, that was the big thing is I knew my family would step in. I knew my mom would just get on the phone with like Roger Ailes if she had to and be like, you need to give her time off. Like this is, you know, I just knew, I think I knew that, that my people would take care of me and force me to stop. And I was scared that that would mean the end of my career. And so I just wouldn't allow it until I physically couldn't anymore. I just couldn't explain away the weight. I couldn't explain away the hair. I couldn't explain away the fatigue. And also that was when I was like, actually, F this job. Like, (laughs) because um, I'm sick now and I might not get, and that's when the diagnosis kind of changed. The prognosis changed. Um, It spread. I ended up with a form of like blood cancer that was a lot di- more different um, and harder to treat. So um, that's when it got a little dicey and, and we were talking about stages. And at one point, my best friend and I, who the one I was in London with at the time, she was like, all right, how many credit cards do you have? What's the maximum balance on all of them? Let's, she's like, if, if we're going out, let's just go for it. Like, where do you want to go in the world? What do you want to do? Let's max everything out. And who cares? Like, just leave your debt with you and it's fine. And I remember that conversation of thinking like, if that's what I would do, if I was really gonna, gonna not make it. And now I'm sick and weak and I can't enjoy anything. And I can't, keep food down like what a bummer like what a bummer to go and max out all my cards and have this like end of life kind of thing and really not even be in a in a position to enjoy it and that's when I was like all right that's that's enough like this is a sign I think that the reason that I'm not getting better is because I haven't changed my life I think that the reason that this is getting worse is because I'm going at this all wrong the second that I just surrendered to it and just decided if I get better, my life is going to change. That's it. Because in between, in between the first diagnosis and then when it turned out that it had spread to my blood, I should have quit my job. Like I should have stopped working. I took a break and then I went back. And, it, and my friends will all say, you know, a lot of my friends are like very like woo woo, you know, and they'll say that, well, you know, you, you had to get sick again for you to understand that you had to change your path. And that's what I actually believe now is that I was going to keep getting sick until I made a big change. Once I went back the second time and got really sick and then just made the decision to actually do the things I would do if I thought I was dying, but wait until I was healthy to do them, that everything would fall into place. And it did. remember um seeing social media posts of you just selling almost everything (laughs) that you had um because this was something that you had wanted to do and i think that that is such a huge risk but understanding the the story behind it it's very very empowering so how long did it take for you to make the decision of like f this like i i'm gonna go and explore the world to you actually doing it well it really it would have been the second that i got 
you know, my, my last PET scan and, and the cancer cells were going down and, and my body was recovering and the medication was working, I would have left that day, but mm-hmm. I was under a contract. And the way that it works is if I would have quit before the end of my contract, I have to pay them back for whatever time that I left early. Mm-hmm. So I basically just kind of tried to time it out to where I would be ready to go by the end of my contract, which at that time was about a year. I basically put a plan in motion to start saving all my money, selling all my stuff, still working, still earning really well. Cause again, I was really lucky. I mean, I was earning very well. I paid off my school loans. I still lived below my means because that's what, you know, one thing my parents always instilled in me. Like I, and that's was the joke about the credit card stuff because I never carry a balance on any of my cards. And I mean, I use them for points because I'm a travel hacker. So I have a ton of cards with maybe $20,000 limits on all of them, but I don't carry a balance on any. So, I mean, we really could have had a time. I'm sure Haley's like (laughs) slightly low key irritated that we didn't do it, but um, so I've always been really, really good with saving. And, and the thing that's a bummer is that because I earned so well, my medical bills were almost a hundred thousand dollars out of pocket. And, and it was so funny because my mom was just like, quit your job now so that you can get like free healthcare or whatever. Cause she said all the money in your savings is gone now. Like that's it. You have to pay for all this medical and then you're going to be healthy and you won't have money to do anything. Like that sucks. And it did suck, but I was in a better position than most because I had the money to pay the bills versus losing everything like so many Americans face. So I was able to pay off all the debt pay down the medical and then still save money. And then that's why I was selling everything to, to get out in front of it. So yeah, it was about a year. So on, on May, let's see, I quit in March, 2014. And then I left on my trip in May of that same year. Sabrina, had you not gotten sick, would you still be a reporter? Would you still be in that grind? I think what has happened in this country over the last few years would have pushed me in another direction just because the media as a whole is just such a bummer right now. And, and it's so hard to know who is being authentic or disingenuous. And I'm just so frustrated with all of it as a whole. So I, I don't think so. I think that the, the, the times would have kind of pushed me in a different direction, but I might've still, I might've stayed in media. Like I, I see myself potentially that I would have gone into like a documentary place or podcasting or, you know, something that wasn't specifically news-based. Um, but I probably would have run myself into the ground. Like I certainly wouldn't have backed off the needing to feeling like I needed to work 12 hours a day because that's what you're told to do. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, there was just what an experience. And so it sounds like after you were able to get all your ducks in a row that you wanted to feel comfortable, you said you took your, your, your trip. What trip was that? So I, I didn't know, actually. I just, I, it was kind of my, like, the death trip that I thought I was going to take. Like, I, the, the way that you titled that. <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't know. I, I figured, like, and the, the thing is, too, with the type of cancer that I had, it was basically for sure going to come back. That's like what they said, but it was this weird, do you ever have those moments where it's like someone tells you something and you, you just know emphatically that it's not true. 
-hmm. You just, and I just knew like in my being that if I just did the right things, the things that I hadn't been doing, if I just got myself in a position where I was, where I was healthier and feeling better, I just knew I'd be okay. I just knew it. But because, you know, of course, all the doctors are like, listen, like, don't, probably don't get married. Don't plan on having kids. Like, you're not going to be around very long. I mean, it, it wasn't nothing. I mean, it was certainly very scary, but I was just like, no, I'll be good. <laughs> so that's when I decided to, I didn't really make any long-term plans, I guess. Didn't believe that I'd get sick again, but I, I still didn't want anyone else's world to come crashing down if I did. So I did kind of remove myself from everyone and just decided that I would travel solo for at least a year. And then I would have a PET scan in six months and then another one in six months after that and just see what it was. And if I was still stage one or under stage three, I would continue. So I kind of was doing it in stages of like every six months I'd get a scan and then I travel for another six months and so on and so forth. Cause I wasn't trying to be reckless. Like if I did get sick again, I would come back and seek treatment, but I also was just hoping that whatever therapy I was doing on my own would keep the cancer at bay. So I know that there's plenty of people out there that are like, wow, to, to travel the world and to see the things that you've seen, you know, how did, how did you do that? I know that you had mentioned paying a exorbitant amount in medical bills. So you know, how were you able to financially kind of, you know, keep yourself afloat while traveling over 70 countries? Well, the first I was, I was really lucky again, like I earned very well. So even after paying the medical debt, um, I still was able, I still had, I don't know, maybe like $30,000 in savings. Plus I cashed out my 401k, which, you know, I don't, don't recommend my mom's still mad at me. She literally like <laughs> still brings it up. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, the time power and, of money. Like I get it. I, I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. But then I always tell her like, listen, I had all the money in the world. I had a ton in savings and then I got sick and it went away. So mm -hmm. listen, the travel hacking thing is, is huge. I mean, listen, I'm not going to pretend that it's not expensive and it's not hard. I, I open and close a lot of credit cards a year to get the bonus miles to fly I remember you um, actually, didn't you publish a book about travel hacks and how people can travel the world kind of like a, you know, really, really inexpensive on a budget? Yeah, I did. I did. I, I don't really promote it anymore because it's so, all that stuff changes so much. I was moving toward that. And then unfortunately I had another like catastrophe happen in my life with a relationship that I was in. Um, I don't know if you want to get into that or not. That, that, that is part of what we couldn't eliminate anything of your story here because you yeah. really have had so many of these different pivots. So yeah, so you have this, um, you know, basically forced pivot is kind of what we were thinking. Um, tell, us, tell us about that. I was dating someone at the time who unfortunately was just in a bad place in his life and was using, you know, drugs and alcohol um, recreationally, but just too much. Um, he lived in Los Angeles. And so I would stay with him when I was traveling um, back in the States. And he would come and visit me. Like he, we went to Bali together. We did South America. He came to um, Copenhagen. So it was, it was a relationship that was um, rooted like in travel, but I was always kind of gone. And so mm -hmm. I didn't really know his home life, his friends, his family. I was very separate from all of that. And I was just the person who would kind of come in and come out. So everyone was always 
kind of very suspicious of me to begin with just because I was never really there and or he would be flying off and quitting his job to come travel with me for like a month and that wasn't chill for anyone (laughs) (laughs) um easiest way I can explain it is um unfortunately one of his roommates died from an overdose, a drug overdose, accidental drug overdose. And my boyfriend at the time was there and he almost died. So they had been partying. And so my boyfriend at the time um, was found like unconscious on the floor. He had been passed out for a long time. He ended up with um, an anoxic brain injury, which affects your um, short-term memory and a lot of other sort of cognitive issues. It, like I said, his roommate actually ended up dying. I was in California at the time. I was actually up in, in Visalia and I drove back down. And for whatever reason, the blame of that was put on me because I was sort of the outsider and no one knew me. And everyone insisted that I was there at the time that this all happened. My partner, you know, he was in the hospital for a month um and his family was just very angry and they wanted me out of the situation and they were grieving and the family of the the man who died were grieving and they decided that the best way to get me to either distract me or get me out of the situation was to post um explicit videos um that they found of me on my boyfriend's phone you know the family did it you know it's really at this point you know I pursued legal action I hired like a digital forensics team to go in and figure out who did what and at the end of the day I don't know whatever was on his phone created a fake Facebook account added like a thousand of my friends like and family and then sent the video as a private message to all of these people. So, you know, my family got it, my colleagues, business associates, and it was, you know, it was graphic and explicit and clearly showed my face. It was very obviously me. It was devastating at the time. I mean, it really was. It, it, and of course, my, my boyfriend is in the hospital fighting for his life. He's on dialysis. We have no idea if he's going to recover, if he's going to remember anything. And it was just this, this horrible experience of him not being able to help me. It was just this insane, like circus of hell that I just couldn't figure out how to crawl out of. And I didn't know what to do. I was trying to be there for him. Um, and also try to like recover and preserve my business and my name and all these things at the same time. And it was just too many things. And eventually I um, just pulled everything. I pulled all of my online, like social media. I pulled my website. I, I, there was just, there was no way that I would be able to recover from that. And this was like before all the me too stuff, it wasn't where I could, I could come out just like as a victim of like, Hey, this happened to me. I basically stopped doing anything online as far as like monetizing anything. Like I still use my name for my, my social media, but I stopped blogging. I stopped people associated with, with what happened, just took it as a game. So anytime I would, I would post something, they would troll it. They, they got, I don't know, maybe like 30 people to go and write these like ridiculous reviews on my, on my company site. And just, they were just very 
very young, very immature and, and, and grieving and grief makes people do horrible things. And I think now they probably regret it. I'm not in a position to pursue anything more. And that's what sucks is, you know, the victim in these cases, it's not even illegal, like what they did technically. Um, And I just had to kind of decide that I wasn't going to let it break me and I was never going to get justice and I needed to just move on. So um, I cut all ties with, you know, my ex and his family and all the people and I took about a year um, to regroup and figure out how I would start working again, you know, because even when you Googled my name, it would come up. I mean, maybe now it's like the second page on a Google search, but it's still there. The scandal or the, the actual footage that was leaked? I, um, I stopped. I, I, I made a deal with myself to stop looking. <laughs> um, but I believe that maybe it's just screen grabs of Facebook posts. I actually did a podcast about it um, where I talked about everything that happened. Um, and I, I had friends come in and record sort of versions of like reading out what the messages that were coming in and what was said to me. Yeah, I don't know. I just stopped looking for it after a while. It's been three years now since that happened. So I've, I've kind of healed from it. And I just feel like whatever, like I almost died. Like after you almost died, nothing is really that hard to get over. And like, I just have to stand by the fact that like, I'm a very sexual person. I have these long distance relationships. I constantly send content back and forth. That's just how I maintain relationships, you know, with people while I'm traveling. And I'm, I'm not ashamed of that at all. When I kind of peel it back in that way, like, of course, it's, it's awful that it went out to people that shouldn't have seen it and without my consent and all those things. But at the end of the day, like, I didn't post it. And so the fact that it's out there, and it was meant for one person is a bummer. But at the end of the day, whatever, like I looked great. I know that writing is something the, or journalism is something you really enjoyed. So what, what happened after that? I probably could have let things die off and revamp some of that stuff. But I just, I don't know, most of the people you deal with in the travel community, like people planning all this stuff, they're mostly men. And I just, I don't know, I just felt like, okay, the first thing someone's going to do when I'm offering any type of service is Google me. And when my name is the first thing, you know, and I have a very, it's not a very common name. It's certainly when you Google my full name, everything about me is what's going to come up. It's not going to be someone else with my name. When you're dealing with, you know, a lot of the stuff at the time, the money, the real money is in like church type retreats, like um, that type of stuff. So I was like, this is not, I mean, there's no way. Yeah, like you're going to miss that market. First assembly is going to be like, so we Googled you. (laughs) Uh, so I essentially go online and and pick and choose articles that need to be written or um you know company like advertorials listicles that kind of stuff it's really I'm not passionate about it at all 
but it, it pays whatever. I mean, I don't have bills, but it gives me money to um, travel and to pay for things that I need to. Would you say that part of you just wanting to move on as quickly as you could and just abandoning, um, or not, not abandoning, but, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm done with this project because of all of the circumstances. Do you think part of that has to do with the lens that you're looking at life through of just, hey, I almost died? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I think that, I think that was like the saving grace of, of being able to not have that like ruin me. I love your attitude. And I know that you still traveled even after that. So what, okay. So you pick up the pieces after this, um, this, the end of this relationship, then what happens after that? Where do you, where do you go? Where do you travel to? So nothing really, nothing super, um, you know, fulfilling or meaningful work-wise, but that wasn't the point. It was, I need to earn enough money to continue to travel, to figure out like what I want to do. And that's when I ended up buying um, a ridiculous RV. <laughs> um, and that's Melissa's actually where you're laughing because she sees it online all the time. <laughs> that thing breaks down more than, than anything I've ever seen. And that's actually where you're recording uh, or making the from today. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, cur- it's currently on fire. Um, <laughs> no, it's- wow. And it sounds like the last decade of your life has really just had a lot of different ex- um, experiences and lots of different changes. Some of them intentional, some of them not. Um, so th- thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. Uh, we do have some questions that we ask all of our guests. And so I'm going to ask you the first question, which is reflecting back, what would you tell your younger self? Oh man, I think, um, I think I would, I would say that chasing, chasing money, chasing a career, chasing a life that I thought I wanted because it was one I didn't have is just not worth it. Like, I wish that I would have traveled first and worked later. Like the, the young people in other countries that do like a gap year, there's nothing more educational to me than traveling. There is nothing that cures racism and indifference like traveling. There is nothing that expands your mind in a way. And the younger you are when you do it, the better because you're still fresh, you know? when I went to places, I would see like these kids experiencing these things. And I would already have all these preconceived notions of what this meant or that. And it took, it took almost like two years of traveling full time to just be able to break that down and actually receive the information that I was getting without filtering it through all of my, like all of my, all of my, adult leanings you know, <laughs> that, that are put upon you by other people you realize. And so, yeah, I would just say, I would, I would tell myself to travel and to, and that money wouldn't make me happy. Cause I think growing up, you know, like kind of struggling and my parents worked their asses off, but we never really had what we want, what we, we had what we needed. We didn't have what we wanted. And so, you know, my brother and I always had to make deals with each other of like who could get what. And we both hustled. I mean, we, we like kids would be selling like candy bars and stuff in school for like sports and we'd just be doing it for like pocket money. Like we'd go to, you know, we'd go and sell like 
sodas and candy bars, like just to buy the things we wanted. And sometimes that was like a cheerleading uniform or karate class or whatever it was. Like we would hustle and do it ourselves. And so I think I just, I always just wanted to achieve a level of success where I could just buy whatever I wanted and I never had to struggle. And I never, no one would make fun of me for like the clothes that I had or the car that my parents drove. And that was so ingrained in me. And I wish, I wish I could have just skipped it. I wish I could have skipped that whole time of my, my life where I was just killing myself so I could get a job where I earned enough money and then had to spend it all on medical bills anyway. Oh, that's, that's an amazing, impactful answer. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the second question is, okay, so looking forward, what is one wish you have for yourself on your current journey? Um, I just, I just want to be happy. I just want to be healthy. And I think I'm in control of that. I really do. I think that as long as I stay true to, um, the path that I'm on, I think that my body will respond in kind. I think that I just, yeah, I just want, I just want what I've been seeking, setting out to find, which is just minimalism and just being happy with what I have. And, and I think I'm, I think I'm on the right track. I think so. Um, <laughs> it certainly sounds like it. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your stories with us. They were absolutely uh, incredible. That's it for this episode. We had a great time sharing and exploring Sabrina's journey with you. What part of her story resonated with you most? Tell us at our Facebook group, Pivotal Moments HQ. We want to thank our producer and music director, Ron Johnson. This has been an Astronomicus DMR production. Thank you for listening. Remember, it's never too late and you're right on time. <laughs>